You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Psalm 126 says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those, listen to this, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Glory to God. Isn't God good? He's so good. This is our God. This is our God. God's in the business of restoring God's in the business of changing lives, and he's still at work. God's not in quarantine. He's not under a stay-at-home order. He is busy moving in the midst of this. He is transforming lives. This psalm we just read right here is known as a pilgrim psalm, and it reflects the struggle when the exile, when the, those were in Israel, when they were in Babylon, they were returning back to their home, and they were experiencing the joy of the God who restores. I love what it says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Some of you have tears, that you've come to church and maybe there's been some hard times. I want you to know God can restore. He can give you songs of joy. And the same one, though some of you come in weeping, he can, he can get return with songs of joy. He can put a new song inside of your heart. Anybody need a new song? You need a new song? He, that's our God. He's the God who restores. That's what he, he does. I, uh, this, this week, my, my sister's in town from Ohio. Would you raise your hand over here? Krisha, that's my younger sister right there. So true story, when I came to know Jesus, I was 18 years old, and she came into my bedroom to tell me, like, what's wrong with you? I was the first one in my family to come to know Jesus. So she came to my bedroom to set me straight. And when she, by the time she left, she had asked Jesus into her heart. And uh, isn't that beautiful? So she's uh, uh, has beautiful children and, and married to a Navy doctor, and he's a good guy, Chris. Chris, as if you're watching online, hello, and welcome to everyone who's watching online. So glad you've joined us. Thank you so much. Um, I, I, uh, my son rescued her, incidentally. Uh, we went whitewater rafting this last week and uh, went to Clearwater. I think it's called Clearwater, Clear Creek, whatever it is. And, um, and, and he, it was the time in the boat. We said, everybody out. You can go for a little swim in the 45-degree you know, temperature water. So they jumped out, and then uh, Krisha had a hard time getting back in. And, uh, and Josiah was in the, in the back, and I saw him from a distance trying to pull her into the raft. But what he kept doing was he kept 
kept smashing her face against the raft. So there's like, <laughs> and when they pull out, pull out. So eventually she got on the raft, God bless her. And it was, a, it was a fun time, but I think, boy, that's what God does. God rescues us, hopefully better than my son rescued my sister. But that's what he does. Nehemiah chapter six. Hey, uh, we're actually, let me, let me get you up to date. Here's a Bible timeline. Here's where we're at. Um, this is our last message in this series called Out of Exile. If you're just joining us, it's our last one. We're starting a super cool series next week. But um, um, the Bible timeline here, you can see where the exile is. It's the, is that blue suitcase? Is that right? I'm colorblind. I think it's blue. Is it blue? Is it purple? Blue? All right. I'm just, you know, I don't know if you knew I'm colorblind. So I feel really fortunate to pastor, you know, an all-black church. I'm excited <laughs> about that, guys. So, it's uh, <laughs> uh, <that's> all good. <laughs> uh, but you see the patriarchs and everything, the, the timeline there. And the exile happened right before the New Testament. So right after the exile, there's 400 years of silence. But the exile is the time when Assyria got involved and Babylon got involved in the big one. They're, they're both significant, but as a reminder, they, they, were, they were exiled because of their unfaithfulness to God, because of their disobedience to God. And God used this king named Nebuchadnezzar to exile them out of, out of the promised land. And now they're living in Babylon and they're there for many years and eventually Persia takes over. And uh, how many years were they here again? I forget how many years in exile? How many years, church? 70 years, that's right. Don't make me do all the work. 70 years. And, and there was a king that God stirred. What was his name? The king. King Cyrus, that's right. God stirred King Cyrus and, and, and spoke to him at night in a vision and, and told him, let my people go. He really is the, you know, this is the Exodus 2.0. And, and, and God used Cyrus to, 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 to let his people go. And they went back to Jerusalem after 70 years of being exiled because of their unfaithfulness. And when they go back, it's just kind of like a do-over. It's like, you know what? I'm gonna do life differently. I'm gonna do life differently. Uh, it's kind of like us with this pandemic. Um, is your life, does your walk with God look anything different from before the pandemic? Coming to church, is there a level of uh, faith that you have to go through to come to church that maybe wasn't there before. Level of courage, maybe all of us had to walk through a layer of fear a little bit to come to church. But whatever it is, our lives look different you know, after this, this pandemic and the same thing happened, same thing happened to them. So um, in this timeline, you read about them going back and, and they're going back to Jerusalem and, and God uses two personalities, a guy named Ezra and Ezra is a scribe and he's a transcriber of the word of God. He loves God and God uses Ezra to build the temple and to, to, to reform the hearts of people and they turn to him and it's a beautiful thing. And the other guy God uses is Nehemiah and God uses Nehemiah to build this city wall around Jerusalem and, and it's a significant task, it's a significant project. So I want you to understand this, it's important to know, there were actually three returns from Babylon to go back to Jerusalem. There were actually three returns or three waves. Uh, the first one returned to Judah is between Ezra chapter one through chapter six. So that's the first return, Ezra chapter one through six. And the second return is Ezra chapter seven through 10. That's the second wave. And the third wave is Nehemiah chapter one verses through 13. So I wanna jump into verse six because we've been talking about this whole thing. And verse six, or excuse me, chapter six, verse 15 says this. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. How many days did it take, church? 52 days. 52 days. 
Um, here's why this is significant. The walls were in ruins for more than 100 years. 100 years, the wall was in ruin. And it was put together in how many days, church? 52 days. Do you have a 100-year-old problem? Anybody have a 100-year-old problem? You know what I mean? It's the problem that your, maybe your parents had or grandparents had, and now you still have it and it's still with you. Maybe, maybe it's a 100-year-old problem of bitterness and resentment and bitterness. The spirit of bitterness and resentment has been passed on and on and on. Maybe it's a spirit of addiction, something that was passed on. It's 100 years old. Maybe it was a bad business deal that happened and family members don't talk anymore and it's been 100 years and there's not reconciliation. Anybody have a 100-year-old problem? Maybe a spirit of anger or lust or whatever it is. And or maybe it's 100 years of being in spiritual bondage. 100 years. Anybody have a problem like that? Here's what I've discovered. If you live with a mess long enough, it doesn't bother you anymore. Can all the parents just say amen to that? You know what I'm talking about? If you live with a mess long enough, it doesn't bother you anymore. I'm gonna put this thing down. If you live with it long enough, it doesn't bother you anymore. Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you think about the, the, the Israelites in this rubble for 100 years, every day they pass by this rubble. And after a while, when you see a mess long enough, it just kind of disappears. It doesn't, it doesn't get under your skin anymore. It's like that empty can or something in your car that it just stays there and it's been there since the last camping trip and that's been a year ago and it's just still in your car and you're thinking, yeah, one day all of a sudden you forget it's there and it starts rattling around the trunk of your car or something like that and eventually it started, you know, the sound bothered you but after a while you just turn up the radio. It's not a big deal and you just learn to live with it. Anybody have a mess in their life that they've been with for a long time that you've just kind of gotten used to? You know what I'm talking about? Maybe, maybe it's a character issue. And maybe you just come to this place and you've convinced yourself, this is just who I am. You know what I'm saying? It's no longer a matter of prayer anymore. It's no longer something that needs to be changed and transformed. Anybody have a 100-year-old problem? You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe it's something, you know, you think about it, you know, parents, you know, your kids are, you know, they have an issue, a character issue, and initially it used to bother you, but after a while... It's just who they are. It doesn't bother you anymore, which is really interesting because people who don't live with your mess can recognize your mess much quicker than you can see your mess. You know what I'm talking about? People who don't live with your mess can see your mess and wonder why you live with that mess for so long. Don't be content and, and satisfied with your mess. God wants to deliver you from that mess. God wants to do a new thing. People who don't live with rubble will see your rubble before you do. Before you do. Uh, see, it starts with one brick. <clears throat> Here's the brick we're gonna start with right here. It's this brick right here. When the Israelites, when they were building that wall, when Nehemiah built that wall, it started with one brick. But you have to remember something. When they came back to rebuild that wall, they learned a lot from the first time. So this time when they're building that wall, it may be just one brick, but it's a special brick. It's a different brick. They're going to approach God differently. They have a new desire to be obedient to God. They have a new desire for God's word that they didn't have before. 
They have a new desire to seek him that they just didn't have before. Sometimes we can go through life and we just don't have a desire. You know what I'm saying? You just don't have a desire for God's will, whatever it is. But they came back and they laid this down and they said, we're going to start with this brick right here. We're going to start with that brick and we're going to build this thing. Here's the problem for some of you, for some of us. You start with the wrong brick. You start with the wrong brick. Maybe it's another brick, and maybe it represents a relationship that you shouldn't even be in. Maybe it's another brick that has to do with your pleasures, or maybe it's a brick that has to do with money, or maybe it's yourself, maybe it's pride, or whatever it is. And if you start off with the wrong brick, if you start off with the wrong brick, you will eventually discover you started off with the wrong brick. You'll eventually discover it. You know how you'll discover it? When you start building the rest of your life on top of that. And the weight, that wrong brick will not be able to support the weight of everything else. Some of you, your life is centered on a person instead of Jesus. It's centered on something else instead of Jesus. Send it on it. Send it on something else. Um, here's here's the truth. You've just some of you have started with the wrong pattern, the wrong brick, but you have a second chance. Maybe it's been a hundred years. Maybe it's been, maybe it's been thirty years. Maybe it's ten years. Whatever it is, twenty years, five years, and you started off with the wrong brick. And let me just say this: you can't waste any more time. Get rid of that wrong brick and start building on the brick of Jesus Christ in your life. Build your life on Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter two says this. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also live, excuse me, you also like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him, what church, will, will. He's talking about this brick right here. The one who starts with him, the one who trusts in him, will never be put to shame. If you build your life on Jesus, another version says it like this, you'll never be disappointed. You'll never be disappointed. You can go through hard times in life and it's just, you know, Jesus said in this world, you're gonna have trouble. He said that. You're gonna have trouble in this world. But if you build your life on Jesus Christ, you can be confident that everything you go through, God is able to handle. God will see you through it. So you build your life on this, on this brick right here. His name is Jesus. And, and you build your life on that brick right there. Incidentally, in scripture, he's called the cornerstone. Here's the definition of a cornerstone. A stone where two walls meet, which the entire structure is depending on. You hear that? So if you start with the wrong brick, if you want to be successful... If you want to have a great life, if you start with the wrong brick, it's not strong enough to support your life, your problems, everything you go through. When you build your life on Christ Jesus, you have to continually surrender to God's will. In fact, every time you keep building on this life, you're saying, all right, Lord Jesus, you're in charge. 
You keep doing your thing, Jesus. I want to make sure, Jesus, this is all good for you. I want to make sure this is pleasing to you, Jesus. I want to make sure everything I do is pleasing to you. And I want to, I want to trust you, Jesus. But it's all about you, Jesus. Amen. It's all about him as I, as I go through life. I want to make sure it's pleasing to him. Here's the problem with the Israelites, and we do the same thing. The Israelites had a history of trusting the wrong brick. Isaiah chapter 31, verse 1. Look at this. Here's their resume. What sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help, trusting their horses, chariots, and charioteers, and depending on the strength of human armies instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So we can look at a job. We can look at a person. Some of you are more concerned about pleasing your man or pleasing your woman than you are pleasing your God. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are more, and God wants you to trust him more than you trust a person. Don't expect something from someone that only God can do. Too many times we expect people to do what only God can do. God is the one who gives the joy. God is the one who puts the peace in your heart. It's not your man's job. It's not your woman's job. It's God's job. God is the one who fills you. Men, would you be here if your, if your woman wasn't here? Would you be here? Some of you are. Some of you are. We can trust counterfeit stone. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder who suffers great loss, the builder will suffer great loss. The, the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So this passage tells us that one day our life will be tested by fire and it will we'll be exposed Whatever brick you've used will be exposed. Whether you build with silver, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw, whatever it is, what are you building on? What are you building on? What are you building on? Right now, this pandemic is testing our faith, isn't it? It's testing our faith. There's a lot of things. It's, it's affecting our psyche. Everything is different, isn't it? It's testing our commitment to the church. It's testing our commitment to God. It's testing us in many, many different ways. And let me just tell you this. I told this to someone recently. I, I believe the enemy could use masks or no masks for his agenda and could create division in churches. Let's not let that happen, church, at Thorn Creek Church. Let's not let that happen. Let's stay strong in the Lord Jesus and have our faith. We are passing through, guys. We are passing through. Our citizenship is not in this world. It's in heaven. If you've placed your life and heart in Jesus Christ, we're passing through. 
Every day is a gift from God. And what an opportunity we have to show people what it looks like to walk by faith. Whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask, it doesn't matter. You have an opportunity to speak to someone in love and talk to them about the God who's greater than coronavirus. Right, guys? In the name of Jesus Christ, that God who's able to see us through and our faith and our trust is in him. He's our God. Verse 16 says this. Look at Nehemiah. When all our enemies heard about this, how many days did it take again? I forget. How many days? 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. I have that in my Bible underlined. I have it underlined. Think about that for a little bit. These are pagans, Gentiles, non-Jews, and they're watching Nehemiah and, and his old, they're watching them build this wall one brick at a time, and, and they're watching this thing, and they're saying it's been in rubble for 100 years. But in 52 days, they see it go up because God was involved because the Holy Spirit was working. And that's what God does. That's when, God, when you look at a family and you look at a marriage and you're like, there's no way. There's no way God can do it. And you look at them and you see God get a hold of a life and you're like, wow, how did that happen? And you have to include God in the conversation because it's not humanly possible. That's how God works. See, it's the favor of God. It's the favor of God. I want you to hear this. There is a life that is marked by the favor of God. Amen. And when you're obedient and faithful to God, and you're saying, God, I'm gonna do life your way, and I'm gonna build the way you want me to build, God, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. God is involved with every brick. In fact, every brick that you put down is like God is helping you, and he's helping you put it down the right way, and he's helping you, and, and there's this supernatural, there's this favor of God. When you don't walk with God, when Jesus is not the cornerstone of your life, Life is hard. I've been there before. Everything takes work. You know what I'm talking about? It's that person who like everything bad happens to them and they throw out this little phrase and they say, it's just my luck. You know what I'm talking about? There is a life that is marked by the favor of God. And it doesn't have anything to do with how much money you make or what subdivision you live in or the square footage of your house. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with who's your cornerstone. It has to do with you surrendering everything, everything in your life. And between every brick, you're just worshiping God. There's a favor of God that exists. There's an ease of life that exists an ease of life. I see it all the time. Every time I go parking, I go to Chipotle or something like that, and it's like there's this great parking spot right in the middle. I'm like, oh, look at God. He's so good. You know what I'm saying? Anybody recognize the favor of God? Do you see the favor of God over and over? He's so good. He's so good. And scripture says, when those on the outside, remember the guy Sanballat and his crummy friends and Slick Willie and all those guys, when they saw what was happening, Scripture says they lost their confidence. All of a sudden, they realized, you know what? We're not going up against humans. 
God is with them. God is with them. Some of you, I know you have difficult situations in your families. You just need to pray and pray and pray. God will hear your prayer. God can do miracles. God can change any life. God can work through anything. God has his hand on every brick. Psalm 127 says this, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. You know what this verse tells me? These two verses tells me you can waste a lot of time and energy building an unblessed life. You can waste a lot of time and energy doing things that don't matter to God. You can waste a lot of time and energy doing things that have no eternal value. But when your heart gets lined up to God's will and you surrender and you say, God, I want your will, I want your way, whatever it is, and you just trust him with every brick that you're building and you say, God, have your way, and you just keep doing, all of a sudden your time is used and it's more productive for the kingdom and it's beautiful. Nehemiah chapter seven, verse one says this, after the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, this is the last thing, setting the doors was the last part of the project. The gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. What just happened here? After the wall was done, 52 days, they set the doors, and now they have the gatekeepers. Those are guarding them. The musicians and the Levites. Well, what, what are they getting ready to do, guys? Worship. You see that? They're saying, okay, first thing we have to do, first thing we have to do after this thing is built, first thing, we need to worship our God now. Do you see the transformation? They learned something 70 years in Babylon, 70 years of the, living out the consequences of their mistakes, 70 years. But when they go back, they're like, okay, we're going to do it differently now. We're going to give ourselves to God, and we're going to build this thing. And as soon as it's done, what do they do? They worship God. They say, God, you are holy, and you are righteous, and we worship you. We owe you everything. You're our life, our breath, everything we are. Our trust is in you. Even in this pandemic, our trust is in you, God, in Jesus' name. Why are you here at church today? We worship our God. You know, when you worship hard, you don't even look at your watch. Where's the band? Let them come back up here again. Let's do this again. <laughs> you just say, God, I need you. This is the best part of my week. I need you, God. You know, it pleases God when you worship, when you face trouble, when you face a problem, when you face a giant, and you say, you know what? Instead of worrying, I'm going to worship God because my God is greater than what I am facing. It pleases God. It shows him that you have faith. It shows him that you have a perspective that the world doesn't have. And it pleases God when you have that kind of faith and you trust him. God wants your worship between every brick. Between every brick. You know, when you worship, it reminds yourself that you're not that big. 
there's someone bigger than you. You pour out your affection. You pour out your desires. You shout. You sing. Even though you can't sing, you sing. And you shout it out as loud as you can. And you don't care who sees you, who hears you singing. You know you can't, you can't sing. But God hears you. And God thinks you can sing amazing. Not just your mama. But God thinks you can. And it pleases God when you say, God, I worship you pleasing him with all of your heart right here. I can't sing. I know I can't. That's why we're looking at Riley. That's why we're doing that, because I can't sing. That's the power of worship. Verse 2 says this, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. Why did he put his brother there? Because he was a man of what church? Of integrity and more than most people do. See, they're building this new life and they have the right cornerstone now. But as they're building this life, something they recognize, they recognize they have to have the right cornerstone there and they recognize they have to have the right heart, and they're worshiping, but they're saying, you know what? For this thing to have any lasting value, to do this right, we have to have two things. We have to have a man of what church? Of integrity. Literally, that word in the Old Testament, that word in the Old Testament means the condition of being without blemish, completeness, perfection, Sincerity, soundness, uprightness, wholeness. To be whole, to be complete, to be spiritually mature. There's another word in the Bible for it. Holy. Holy. It's the idea of having clean hands and a pure heart before God. God sees your heart See, we live in a day and age right now where we're image consultants, right? We become really good at capturing shots, whether it's on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever it is. And we become these image consultants, image managers where, have you noticed incidentally every time you take a selfie, you're always opening your mouth just a little bit like, have you noticed that? I've noticed that when you take a selfie. It's kind of like you're laughing or something like that, I don't know. But we, we become really good at just capturing these moments and then posting them and telling everyone this is what great life we have. But here's what you need to know. God cares more about your heart than anything you post. He cares more about who you are when nobody's looking. He cares about your motives. And he did that with a guy named, remember a guy named Saul? The Israelites said, we want Saul because he's tall, he's good looking, he's handsome. And God said, you don't need that guy. Let me be your king. And they said, no, we want that tall, good looking guy because if he's tall and he's good looking, it means he has it all together. And they got him and there was three strikes with that guy. And then God said, you know what? I'm gonna look after a man after, God's, after my own heart. What was his name, church? David. That's right. And he brought David on board. You know, here's, God doesn't look at people the way people look at people. God looks at the heart. Some of the greatest people under the eyes of God are some of the poorest people that you might look past. 
some of the most humble people that you might not think twice about. Those people, God looks at the heart, doesn't have anything to do with your income, doesn't have anything to do with the kind of car you drive. God looks at the heart. And, and scripture teaches us, he, he, wants us to be, he wants us to be holy. First Peter chapter one says this, but now you must be holy. You must be holy. Well, let's read this. But now you must be holy in what church? In everything. In what now? In some things or what? In everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, you must be holy in That means every part of my life. It's a 360 degree life right here. It's a 360. It doesn't matter where I'm at. It doesn't matter where, what time of day. It doesn't matter. God wants me to be holy. He wants me to please him. He, it matters to him the words that come out of my mouth. It matters to him the heart. It matters to him what I see when nobody's looking. All of that matters to God. It matters to him the way I treat my parents. It matters to him the way I treat my brother or my sister or my friend or my enemy or my frenemy. It doesn't matter. It matters to God. And God wants you to be holy, complete, upright, whole before his eyes. Before his eyes. I like Proverbs 28. It says, better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. And then there's this other thing. Remember, as they were building this thing, there was this other integrity. And then they also wanted someone who, remember, it started with an F. Fear the Lord. Did you see that? Proverbs chapter 9 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Are you a wise person or a foolish person? The fear of the Lord. That's an awareness right there that God sees me day and night. It's an awareness that what I do matters under the eyes of God. It's an awareness that there's a judgment day. It's an awareness that I'm gonna be accountable. It's an awareness that God is the all-seeing God, the all-knowing God, and he loves me, and I can call him Abba, Father, but he's also the God who sees, and he's the God of justice. He's the God of mercy. He's all of that. Oswald Chambers, I like what he said. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Isn't that good? When you fear God, you just know he's with you and he knows the number of hairs on your head and you don't have anything to worry about. Check it out. Chapter seven, verse three. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. And love verse four. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So when they were building this thing, one brick at a time, when they were building this thing, there weren't a lot of people. There were just a few. But that's how God works. It only takes one. It only takes one to pray. God hears that prayer, he'll transform a home. And you look at it in scripture over and over and over and over. Gideon had 32,000 soldiers. And God said, you don't need that many. You've got me. So God told him, and he whittled it down. 
Some of them, you remember, drank like dogs in the, in the creek, and others cupped it up. And you remember how many he was left with? 300 soldiers. And God said, I just want to make sure we all know who gets credit for this. God gets credit for this. And the Israelites are coming back and they're building this thing and there's only a few. It's an incredible lesson for us right here. Don't ever determine the favor of God based on how many people are not there. Because you could be in the midst of a great thing and not even know it. If God's behind it, it's a great thing. If God's at work, it's a great thing. It's if you're the only one in your home who's coming to church, you're the only one who's crying out to God, it's enough. It's enough. It only takes one. It only takes one. Only takes one. You have to be careful. Don't discredit the few. And then you look at Nehemiah chapter eight. Look what they do. I'm gonna read verse six. Then Ezra, here comes Ezra. He's a rock star for God's word. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, what church? Amen. As they lifted their hands, then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. See, as they were building this thing and they were doing it brick by brick and it just kept going up higher and higher and they kept building this thing brick by brick and when it was done, they said, all right, now we worship him. And they stood up for the reading of God's word they worshiped their hearts out. See, they had their priorities in line. Their life right here after Babylon was very different from their life before Babylon. Very different. God wants to do a new thing inside of you. God wants to change you. God wants to transform you. Maybe you started off with the wrong brick. And I want you to hear this. Stop wasting time. You've already wasted enough years with that wrong brick. God can take that wrong, wrong brick and he get, build your life on Jesus Christ. It's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. The devil's already robbed enough years of your life. Don't let him rob anymore. It's not too late. God can do a miraculous thing in your life. You let him have his way, surrender to his will, and Jesus Christ will work everything out for his glory. For his glory. He can do that. He'll work everything out for his glory. That's your God. That's your God. That's your God. Woo! That's your God. That's what I'm talking about. That's what he does. Your life is mixed up in the life of Jesus. He'll see you through whatever you go through. You can trust him. He'll never disappoint you. Even in the midst of a pandemic, God's bigger than it. Right, guys? Here's what I want to do. Um, some of you, maybe, maybe you came to church. Maybe you're here. Or maybe you're online watching right now. Maybe God's stirring your heart. If you sense something happening inside of your heart, I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit stirring your heart. And he wants you to get right with him. You have an opportunity right now to turn to the Lord. Every day is a gift. This is a good time to turn to the Lord. This is a good time to turn to the Lord. You turn to him now while you have breath because it's the gift of God that gives you breath, right? Every day is a blessing. Every day is a blessing. So while you have breath, while the grace of God is covering you, turn to God now. Turn to Jesus Christ now and, and build every brick that you put in your life. Surrender first to the Lord and, and say, God, are you pleased with this? 
God, are you good with this? And the prayer is this, the favor of God is on your life in such a way that people who don't go to church look at your life and say, wow, God surely is with them. Look at everything that has happened. Well, let's pray. God, we worship you. I know it pleases you, God, when we worship, when we worship you. Thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. Would you just continue to have your way? If you're ready to ask Jesus into your life, would you say this? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I've been building my life on the wrong cornerstone. It's a counterfeit cornerstone. But right now, I choose you, Jesus. I want to start over. I want to do it the right way. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me for my sins. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Others of you might need to say this prayer. God, make me holy. Make me holy, God. Holy Spirit, fill me. Maybe that's your prayer. Ask him, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, touch me. Holy Spirit, touch my tongue because things come out of my mouth that aren't pleasing to you. Touch my heart because my heart is full of resentment and lust and anger. Touch my mind because I think of unclean things and my thoughts are not pure. Touch my mind, God. Do a work inside of me, transform me, God. God, we worship you. There's no place we'd rather be. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church give.